You're listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here, as always. This week, I'm speaking with acclaimed author and parenting expert, Michelle Eichard. You might remember, she has been on the show before when she had her amazing book, 14 Talks by Age 14. Well, she is out with a new book, and it is called Eight Setbacks That Can Make a Child a Success. So in this episode, Michelle is sharing her invaluable insights into helping parents and their children navigate eight specific categories of tense situations. And she has a special approach, a strategic approach. uh, And so she's going to get into that. You're going to want to Take some notes at that part. It's really, really incredible and really helpful. Um, So I hope you enjoy this episode as we cover eight setbacks that can make a child a success. And uh, yeah, please welcome Michelle Eichard back to the show. Well, hello, Michelle. Welcome back to the show. It's an honor to have you here. Hey, it's great to be back. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it has been what a few years since you were last on talking about your book. Can you talk to us about your new book and how your message has evolved since 14 Talks by Age 14? I'd love to. So the new book is called Eight Setbacks That Can Make a Child a Success. And the sort of theme of the book is how does failure function in our kids' lives and, and the, the TLDR <laughs> here, uh, too long didn't read answer is it is one of the best tools for helping usher kids across the threshold into happy, productive, resilient adulthood. We tend to fear our kids' mistakes and failures and face plants, especially when they're public, but they really are crucial to positive development. And so the book is about reframing how we look at failure how we perceive our role as the adult in a child's failure to be. Um, and, you know, my hope is that it will, it will like, like my other book, hopefully provide some relief to parents who are starting to see their kids mess up, often in public ways, um, and help them feel a little more comfort and purpose around those mess ups. Yeah, because it does feel like an indictment on our parenting skills. And it's like we can be doing all of the right things, having all the great conversations at home. And then your kid does something and it's like immediate like shame and guilt and all these emotions come up. So talk to us about not only how you approach this very difficult and sometimes complicated issue, but what are some ways that parents can start reframing the narrative in their own lives about this? I'm so happy that you said that because I do think that's one of the first places our minds go is we think what we worry about what this means about our child. Is my kid a narcissist? Is my kid a sociopath? Like, will I have a relationship with my child when they're older because they're so confrontational right now or whatever it may be? We go to the worst possible fear. And right after that, I think the next fear we go to is what does this say about my parenting? Do I look like a jerk to all these other parents out here who are seeing this. Um, and so what I hope that parents will gain from this is a peek behind the curtain into the normalcy that every kid is going to do this, even if you are a parenting expert, even if you mm-hmm. interview parenting experts, even if you are, you know, there's there are all these tropes about like, oh, the preacher's daughter is the most rebellious. Right. Or like the psychologist kid has the most problems. Mm-hmm. And, and the truth is really all kids have problems, challenges that they face growing up. And I want parents to 
find a sense of relief and comfort in reading this and seeing so many examples of other families who were willing to kind of lift the veil of shame and secrecy and say, this is what we went through. Uh, I think that's really crucial for us as a community to uplift other families and not put them down and not worry about what that says about us personally when our kids mess up, but really to kind of embrace it and say, okay, here's a moment to grow on. Yeah. And I love how in your book, it's not just about, you know, philosophy and theories. It's like it uses real world examples and it takes a real world like practical approach. Can you talk about your three-step approach? Because I looked at it and it's so genius. And I I mean, I know you hear this all the time, but it's like, oh, duh, like, of course this would work. And this is why. Can you talk about that for our listener? So That's good. so nice of you to say thank you. Yes. So what I did to prepare for this book was I interviewed parents from across the country about issues that they had faced raising their kids. And I knew specifically what issues I was looking for based on my work, what were kind of the most common archetypes of failure. So like failure to connect with peers or failure to take care of their body, failure to do well in schools, like all of these things. And from all of their stories and all of my research, I came up with three steps that every family can use regardless of the challenge that they're facing to help their kids get through it. And so those are called contain, resolve, and evolve. And the first step contain, that either means you need to contain the problem that's coming at your kid, or you may need to contain your kid if your kid Mm -hmm. is making some choices that are dangerous. So that step one is just kind of applying a tourniquet so you can stop the bleeding. Step two is moving from containing the problem to resolving the problem. And in the book, there's a long list of menu items parents can pick from. So it's like, okay, in order to resolve this challenge or crisis or whatever it is, we're going to need to pick from this menu. And it looks like we need an apology and we need to rebuild some trust. Or it looks like we need to work on education. I think this is something our kid just didn't really know about. So there are a lot of choices there. You do that step. And then the third step is evolve. And to me, this is the most important step in the process. Evolve means it's time to put this in your rearview mirror. You do not want this challenge to be the headline of your kid's childhood. You really want to move past it. And so I say parents need to stop pressing the bruise. They need to stop checking in on it. They need to stop asking every time their kid goes out, you're going to be safe, right? You're going to make good choices, mm-hmm. right? Like, Because there's <laughs> or, that doubt. Yeah, it's, it's, it's peppering it with doubt. And it's also like, it feels like a way of making sure that we're being a good parent, but really it's just reminding the kid of how they messed up and that's not a good way to grow. And so we need to put it in our rear view mirror and evolve past it. Yeah. I love that the parent then is coming to the child with still that emotionality, that love, that care, like I'm doing this for you. But at the same time, it's taking away too much emotion and too much this is about me now because you're a failure. So it's a reflection on me. Like to me, that's a really healthy and positive way to deal with a heart wrenching and a lot of times situation. Cause it's your child, you know, you, you would do anything for them. You want to fix the problem. How do you separate the child from the problem? Are they not intricately linked? How do you differentiate? That's such a good question. Are they not intricately linked? So, um, I have, uh, it's funny that you say that because I just had a 
read a thing in a parenting group online where the parent said, I swore I said to my kid, your behavior disgusts me. And what the child heard was, you disgust me, right? And I can remember a very similar experience growing up where my dad was so upset at a very bad thing I did. (laughs) I mean, as an adult, I'm like, oh, I would have lost my, you know, (laughs) senses if my kid did that. And I did that. And I remember him saying like, oh, that was so stupid. Why could you do something so stupid? And I heard, you're so stupid. Mm -hmm. So it may feel to you that you're doing a good job separating them out with your vocabulary, but your child's not listening for grammar. They're not listening that acutely. They are watching your emotions and they are feeding off of your expression. And so whether you feel that the child and the issue, the challenge are intricately linked, and they may be, um, doesn't matter. What matters is whether the kid reduces that experience to a sense of shame, which we don't want, or to a feeling of regret, which we do want. (laughs) So we really want the kid to feel a bit of embarrassment or pain or regret or discomfort, even guilt over making a bad choice, that those emotions are really productive. Shame is not productive because it just says, I'm a bad person. I can't be better. I can't make better choices. So I really think like the question is interesting, but the answer is it doesn't matter. What matters is how you talk and convey this to your child. And so you may have to be really explicit. You may have to say, that was a choice that could have gotten you hurt. And that's what upsets me because I love you and I care for you and you're a great person and I don't want you to get hurt. And you'll also need to really regulate your voice and regulate Mm. your face. And that's hard to do. So try to get all that emotionality out with your friends or your partner before you talk to your kid. Yeah, it's so hard to do. Like it really is the hardest job in the world, like being a healthy, happy model for your children. So much internal work has to be done. I would recommend people read the book themselves first and then start trying to practice the the things in it. Or do you find that you can read a chapter and then jump right into it. So I think it's a bit of a choose your own adventure. You can say, oh, I'm in crisis mode right now. Mm. My kid has been drinking or my child is possibly depressed. So, you know, all the examples in the book are not that heavy. But if you find yourself in a crisis and, you, and you're in a situation that feels that heavy, you can go to that chapter, read just that right now to give yourself some words some language to put to the situation. I think that's helpful. But if you are not yet in a situation that is crippling, then I think your method is right to just read it first and soak it up and say, okay, I'm going to give some thought to my philosophy around this and how I want to be thinking about this. But I also want to assure parents what, what you just said about it being the hardest job to be sort of mentally healthy enough to kind of like parent healthily is correct. I think it is the hardest thing. And I think um, you don't have to be perfect at it. I think you can mess up. I am the, uh, the author of the book and I have lost it before. (laughs) I mean, I have had to go back and say, I am so sorry that I just lost it. Um, And I think that that's also a really good way to model healthy behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to the three-step approach, I love how one of the elements was um, control the narrative. So when you're talking about the problem and what happened and you know what what it is, 
you really do tell the story of, of how you're going to move on from that. How important is storytelling? And this is something that honestly, it has been showing up in every interview that I've been doing lately, humans and storytelling and how that impacts how we heal and what we do next. So I think it is hugely important and was and is the impetus for so much of my work, so many different aspects of the book. So that sort of being the PR manager for your child, I want you to control the narrative in the sense that sometimes we think, oh, my child has done this really dumb thing. They've gotten suspended or, you know, whatever it is. And we think we have to say, I know that was stupid. We raised this child better very publicly. So as not to like, as you said before, kind of indict our own parenting, right? That doesn't serve your child well to get out there and kind of bash what they've been Mm -hmm. through. And it also doesn't teach other people how to talk about your child or other kids in the community who've screwed up. It's normal and natural to make a really bad choice when you're growing up. That's just part of it. And so I think if we can lead the way in how we talk about it as like, gosh, yeah, it wasn't a good choice, but I feel confident in this kid to kind of figure out what the next move is going to be and we're going to support them through it. That's a much better PR manager than we taught this kid better. I can't believe they did such a thing, right? Yeah. So that's part of the storytelling. And and the other storytelling thing that I love about this is coming of age, just the idea of like, what does it mean to become an adult? And sometimes I think we get it really wrong culturally. We think it means throwing a big party or giving them the keys to the car or whatever it might be. But what it really means in in terms of literature, in terms of like real storytelling and novels and, and that sort of thing, it means separating from your group, going away, being isolated, um, maybe that's stand by me and you're walking down the railroad tracks to find a dead body. Maybe that's <laughs> Star Wars and you're going to fight the rebel forces or or the bad guys. You know, I'm obviously not a Star Wars. Fan. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna write you an email. I'm so sorry. I don't know. <laughs> but the idea is that you have to separate from your group and go be alone and do a really hard thing and make some mistakes and figure out how to be a better person. Then you come back to the community knowing more and being a better adult. So that is like the ultimate in storytelling for me. Mm, Yeah. It's that search for wisdom, that desire for wisdom. And you can't really get there unless you go through the dark, the darkness really. Yeah. No one learns from things being perfect. That's not a good environment for learning. And no one learns from things being traumatic. That's also not Mm. a good environment for growth. A really good environment for growth has just enough pain that you are uncomfortable, but you learn to cope with discomfort. So there's an analogy I use in the book that um, greenhouse keepers use. And they when they have little baby plants and they want to ensure that these plants can grow up to be strong and tough and, and thrive in the world outside of the greenhouse, They do a thing called hardening off where they take the plants and they put them out in the frozen air for short amounts of time. And then they bring them back into the greenhouse, but they want them exposed to that discomfort. Really? Mm -hmm. We as parents need to do the same thing. We need to let our kids get hardened in a way that builds their coping skills and their resilience and their strength so that we don't take these sweet little saplings and put them down on a college dorm and say, now be fine. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's so true. So what are some really great ways aside from learning and discussing, you know, mistakes or a great way to get hard into the world and to learn and to gain wisdom? Mm -hmm. Are there some other situations that you recommend in the book that you can put your children in to do that in a safe way? For the most part, actually, I, what I say to parents is you don't have to manufacture a, a way for your child <laughs> to, to get tougher. So I don't want you to have to wake your kid up at 5 a.m. and take them outside to start shoveling. It's not that, <laughs> but the world is going to create enough circumstances yeah. for them to get toughened up. What I want for you to do is to create space in your home where you can talk about those things and you do it without a sense of judgment. It's just more like, yeah, that is so hard. That's that's part of life as we know it. What can I do to help you through? What's going to make it, you know, a little bit easier for you at home while you're dealing with this issue of a breakup with a friend or a heartache over romance or failing a class, whatever it might be. So you want to be supportive of it emotionally, but you're not going to have to to create scenarios. The world is full of them. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I know this is a parenting book, but what about the lessons that educators, teachers can glean from this book? Because I know that there's there's just so many ways for this to be of good in the classroom. Oh, I love that. So I think for teachers, what I keep hearing from teachers I talk to is kids aren't comfortable with discomfort. They are they really are. Um, upset when things don't go their way. And I think we've created this culture where we expect so much of kids. We want them in every activity. We want their resumes to be really precise and really um, deep by the time they are in middle and high school. And so we don't give them time to kind of float around and figure out what feels right and what feels mm -hmm. wrong to them. So I think when teachers can create space in the classroom that allows kids to explore discomfort and and the way that we do that isn't isn't by keeping it secret like I'm running a secret experiment. I'm making you <laughs> sit next to someone you don't like and I'm going to see what the result is, but really to lift the veil on it and say, you know, what I want to talk about this quarter is discomfort and how we can get stronger. Um, so what are some things at school that that are uncomfortable and how can we deal with it? Brainstorming with kids is a great classroom activity around this. Um, just giving kids, I think, the vocabulary to talk about it. Like, are you discomfortable? Are you uncomfortable or experiencing discomfort because you feel guilt or do you feel awkward or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. But like, I think kids need the words to put to how they're feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and adults too. Like I keep coming yes. back to that. It's like, it's giving me so much of a vocabulary um, to even approach my children and not do it in a way that's like I'm coming down on you. You know, I'm, I'm laying down the law because for me, I know personally that did the opposite that had the opposite effect on me. Like, yes, I will do what you say and look like I'm doing what you say, but really I'm going to go that far the other direction because it's it just, was the wrong approach. But I feel like if my parents had come to me with these, these lessons and, and just this gent, more of a gentle approach, more of an open, let's talk about it approach. I feel like, yeah, that would have changed the game. I feel so similarly. Like I, uh, there's a big difference between a child being compliant and a child being respectful. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of parents confuse the two and they think, well, if my kid toes the line and they have good manners in public, then they are a respectful person. But they may just be doing that because they don't want to deal with the consequence of not being compliant and they haven't actually learned what real respect is and how that's earned. Um, and so I, I think a lot of parents, there's some gray area there based on how we were raised, you yeah. know. Uh, and I think it's really good to, like, I still want my, you know, I have rules for my kids for sure. And and some of them, many of them had to do with manners. Uh, but also I wanted to create an environment in which they could express um what they were displeased with and what they thought should change. There's a child's bill of rights in the book where I talk about what I think are sort of in inherent rights that kids deserve to have growing up in their home, like the right to make a mistake and the right to try to fix it themselves. And one of them is the right to advocate for themselves and not just be a compliant person, mm-hmm. but to say, no, I actually think it should be this way. And I want to tell you why. I think that grows really intelligent, critical thinkers. I mean, doesn't it? Like, yes, it takes more time to do it this way, but you're, you are sending a kid off to college with the ability to think for themselves and to not just follow what, what the pack is doing or what the professor is saying. I mean, it really does empower them. That's my hope is that they will build that muscle for critical thinking. And then, yeah, that that we have people who are more thoughtful, who are able to listen to multiple perspectives and and who can engage in not necessarily like debate, but in in sort of like a conversation. Because mm-hmm. I think debate is often about winning, but mm-hmm. more of a healthy conversation about like, let's just share how we're both seeing this right now. And I think that would benefit our society as a whole <laughs> in so many ways. Oh my gosh, so many ways. And two, I think like the battles between egos, between parents and children, I mean, that is just taken away. It's taken away because at the end of the day, like we're doing this, we're having these conversations for you, for your success. And you're not a horrible person because you did make this mistake. I love that. I mean, and and for anyone who's listening who thinks like this, this sounds too soft, <laughs> mm. which was my concern in writing. I was like, I don't want people to think it sounds too soft. I do want there to be consequences. I mm. do think kids need boundaries. And I say in the book, when your child's world gets too big, you need to make it smaller. So if mm. your child is doing things that are unsafe, I, what I, I guess what I want parents to evaluate is, is my child's act of rebellion or their mistake or whatever it is, is that upsetting to me because it's annoying and disruptive or is it upsetting to me because it's dangerous so I want parents to have a clear understanding of that and your kid is going to be annoying and disruptive from time to time I don't want it to be all the time I want you to have a nice a nice home life but like that's part of their job is kind of figuring out where the walls are and they're going to bump into a bunch of things trying to figure that out but I don't want them to be in danger right yeah Oh, yeah, I think everyone listening, that resonates. We understand yes. that. Um, do you have any any specific hope for the book? You talked about, you know, you want people to have pleasant home lives and, and happy, successful kids. Is there anything specific that when you were writing this book, you're like, I really want this to hit home? Yeah, yeah. So for me, the thing that that hit home for me as a parent, not just the author of the book, was... Talking with all these families across the country, I asked every family at the end of our interview, 
if and I and I only had the parents in the interview, not the kids. But I said, now you've been through this, and the experiences they ranged from subtle, like my kid just is sort of being a jerk, <laughs> to shocking. You know, my kid was hospitalized for drinking too much, or whatever it might be. Like this big span of failures in some way or another. So I asked them at the end, if I could give you a magic wand and you could go back and erase this experience that was really difficult for you and your child, would you use it? And all but one said, I would not. If you had asked me when we were going through this, I would have grabbed the magic wand from you. I would have loved to get rid of this. But now that time has passed, we feel like what our child learned from this experience is too valuable to lose. So I can't give up the whole thing and get rid of the bad, uncomfortable parts of it because now they know X, Y, or Z. They know who to trust. They know how to take care of themselves. They know where their limits are. They know what the boundaries are. So for me, that was such a relief to hear and something I hope every parent remembers wherever they are on this sort of journey that like it might feel right now that I want to wish this away. It's it's embarrassing or painful or whatever it might be. But really down the road, this is going to be one of the things we are so thankful for in our lives. That's hard to imagine, but but based on all the people I talked with, it was comforting to know that they almost all felt this way. Wow, that is incredible. Now, you did mention before the interview that you are speaking at different schools. Is this what you're speaking about or is it something totally different? Yeah, so I regularly go around the country and talk, but I am doing a sort of speaker's blitz on this book. So I'll be Mm -hmm. talking about failure. I'll be talking about coming of age, what we as parents get right and wrong about helping kids through this process and, and really what helps kids pass through these challenges and and make them moments to grow on instead of getting stuck there. So I will be talking um, in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, D.C., Charlotte about this specific topic throughout the fall. That's so exciting. That's so great. And and kids are going to be in the audience and it's not just parents and teachers. Yeah. So it kind of depends on how the school organizes it. Some schools have me talk to kids. Some have me talk to parents. Some like a combo. So we can get creative. (laughs) I mean, I can already feel like someone is going to hear your message and that weight of shame and guilt over maybe something totally small and insignificant to anyone else. But to that person, that's going to be washed away. And I'm just, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this book to be out in the world. And I'm so excited for your message to just continue to grow and grow and grow because we definitely need it. We definitely need love it. talking to you because you really get it and you really have such a good heart around these topics that that is, we have the same exact hope. I love the way you said that. Yeah. So to round us out, do you have anything else that you would like to leave with the listener today about the book, about anything that you've learned on your life's journey? I think just be kind to yourself and each other. The best thing we can do, whether we're feeling upset or something has happened to our child or maybe to a friend's kid is to just say, you know what? It's going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. We're just humans here trying to get through it. So a little extra dose of kindness, I think, is what we need. Beautiful. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to come back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you here. I can't wait to have you back in another year or two with your new book. Oh, gosh. That may be. (laughs) Who knows? But yes, I would love to. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, yeah, hope to see you in Atlanta. I would love that. Thank you so much.